When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. My name is Corey O'Flanagan. As always, Song Facts Podcast is proudly partnered with the Pantheon Podcast Network. Go to pantheonpodcast.com for a wealth of information on all sorts of music stuff. Today, we have the great pleasure of speaking to such an amazing musician, Mr. Urban Jack, or Simon Milliman, as he's referred to in the real world. Simon is taking on a project of completing 12 albums in 12 months. Yep, you heard it right. It is crazy the amount of creativity that he is outpouring over this time. I'm not going to bore you with my analysis of it. Let's get into it and talk to Simon Milliman. Simon Eli Milliman. Do I go over the full name? Yeah, you know, that, that's a good way to go because uh, in different places, for different reasons, people will call me Simon or Eli. So, You get any nicknames out of that last name? Oh, Milliman. Oh, uh, you know, not normally the last name. Normally, I grew up being called Eli. And so I got a lot of, uh, you know, you're called Eli because you lie or, you know, I mean, real, <laughs> real, real mature stuff, you yeah, know, yeah. and most of it true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So what do you want me to call you? Oh, you can call me Simon. Uh, that's what I've been currently going by. Um, what is what do we relate Urban Jack to? Is that the is that the performer? Urban Jack is, is yeah, it's the, the name I took on as a solo performer. It's actually, Urban is the, uh, my grandfather's middle name. It was also okay. his mother's maiden name. And Jack is my father's middle name. So Urban Jack. Love it. Cool. So um, Simon, awesome. Thank you so much for being here with us on Song Facts Podcast. We're excited about this. And just to be able to talk to somebody, um, I've given a little bit of an intro leading into this. So people are going to learn about your 12 albums in 12 months project which is just an incredible outputting of uh, creativity but before we jump into it why don't you just give us a little bit of uh, intro and and background on you you know your little two-minute introduction of music and life and how you've gotten to where you are today if you can yeah well I uh native born in Oregon, raised in Alaska, returned to Portland, Oregon back in uh, 2002, thereabouts, uh, to pursue music and music studies. So I mm-hmm. was studying uh, music composition, uh, and, I, and I came here to, to study under somebody specifically, and un- unfortunately, he, he took a job somewhere else a year after I... <laughs> started studying under him so but anyway uh been performing you know all that time uh, been performing at least uh, 20 years uh in a few various bands uh the most prolific of which was a band called subterranean howl 
Okay. And and it was the uh, disintegration of subterranean howl that led to me doing this solo project, Urban Jack. How long ago was that disintegration? Um, it's been about two years now. Okay. Uh, and it was interesting. We we actually tried to make another go of it, and um, it just didn't pan out. Uh, there were just personal conflicts within the band. What? No, nothing like infighting. No, none of that kind of drama. Not uh, like Bon Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing like that. No. Uh, we're all we're all very friendly. Um, Subterranean Hell just. Uh, I, I guess it just had its run. And, and I still actually look for, we have half an album left, it, it, like recorded. Uh, and, and we kept meaning to finish it, but we just haven't gotten to it yet. I hope that we'll actually finish that someday. But um, that led me to recording a solo album. And I ha still haven't released that solo album. And, and it was, it was going to be the first Urban Jack album. And I finished it. It's totally complete. It's in the vault. It's just sitting there. Um, but I just was struggling to re release it. And then when COVID came around, and mm -hmm. I'm sitting with my children, and I'm helping them with their schoolwork. And I don't know, one day, all of a sudden, something happened. And I'm not big on social media. I'm not on there very often, or, or yeah. you know, I'm not on there every day and things like that. But something happened, and I found myself posting something to my Instagram that I was going to do a project of completing an album per month for for twelve months. And it shocked the heck out of me. I was just like, "What am I doing?" <laughs> what you just kind of subconsciously <laughs> challenged yourself, or what? I guess so. Something happened. It must have been just that mixture of uh, uh, of sitting around. You know, I, I have a recording studio I, that I've built over the years, and that's been that and photography have uh, been my uh, income. That uh, and, and so COVID happens, and guess what? You can't do well. You can't record people, and you can't go around. <laughs> you know, book yeah. photo photography sessions. So yep. I'm sitting around doing nothing. I'm a very prolific songwriter, so I just, I, I guess subconsciously, I just realized that I have a lot of creative energy that I need to get out, I guess, and I, I need to filter Clearly. it through, through this project. And um, so this project, e each album has included maybe one or two songs that were written previously that, mm -hmm. were, that have just been sitting around forever. Okay. And then the rest of it's been original material that I've been writing for it. Um, and so it's just given me that opportunity to say, these songs, for whatever reason, got uh, put on the shelf, you know, for however, however many years. And now I've got all this new stuff that I um, am doing. So it, that, that's, that's where, that, that's, that's the, the gist of the story. Yeah. Simon, how did you come into music in the first place? Were your parents musicians? Was it in the family? No. Uh, they encouraged music. We all had music lessons. I had a grandmother who gave us piano lessons. Nice. Uh, but she was actually not even blood-related because uh, my grandfather remarried. And okay. so, um, so it wasn't like I inherited all this musical prowess or anything like that mm -hmm. but uh it, it just became something that a few of us really hooked on to my younger brother actually um is 
finishing his doctorate in musicology. And uh, so he's much more prestigious than I, but um, he, uh, he, he's the real genius of the family. And, you know, I'm the rock and roll guy. You know? okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I came into music just I, uh, like most people, I was just a listener. And then uh, all of a sudden, one day I'm, I'm something like 18 or so, and, or maybe I was 17, and I, I decide I'm going to write a song. And it's the worst song ever. I write it for my girlfriend or whatever. But it, it, it begins this thing where all of a sudden I think I'm a songwriter. And uh, the first couple hundred of those songs were just terrible. Nobody's ever going to hear them. But uh... <laughs> you got to put those out. You got to let us know. <laughs> I'm with you on that because I've, I've had a stab at songwriting myself and it is Oh, it's daunting. And it's one of those things of needle in a haystack. You got to write a thousand before you get one that's decent. And you're obviously your own self-critic is, is the harshest. It is. Yeah. And I've developed a filter over time where I, I've been able to say that idea is going to go somewhere and that idea is not going to go somewhere before I start working on it. That filter fails me sometimes. It failed me on the on the uh, one of these last albums where I put in a couple of weeks of work. And when you're when you only have a month, to do anything a couple of weeks of work means a lot mm-hmm. but i threw all that in the trash can and i just began again and uh i missed my deadline by by just a little bit but i but i completed an album that i was proud of instead of one that i was just completely frustrated with so yeah well and one of the things that i noticed is that on your um website you've got the in the blog section you pretty much put out a press release that I think probably does a little bit more to, I don't know, that might be something that you look back on and, and it motivates you, or it's just like this thing that is, um, you've put it out there and now it's like, I've got to now make this a reality. And so, and one of the things that's fascinating to me, and I think to a lot of people is that you're at least for the first album or two, it sounds like playing every instrument. And so t- where does that end? Where, where, what instrument can't you play? Is that a shorter <laughs> list? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually a long list. I have to fake a lot of things. So a lot of, uh, you know, dirty industry secrets are coming up, coming your way. <laughs> a lot of these great drum tracks that I'm drumming on are actually a compilation of live and uh, synthesized, like programmed drums that I'm, I'm yep. shuffling back and forth between. There's no way I could perform the drums on my albums live without giving me like six months to practice them all <laughs> you know i have to retrain myself as a drummer so yeah. and and you know a lot of like the strings and the horns these are like top-notch samples that i've invested in over the years and i've tried and i, and I do a lot to humanize them and things like that a lot of work goes into that to make them sound really organic so mm-hmm. But, you know, the instruments that I'm truly absolutely playing and there's no trickery behind them, that would be the things like the guitars, the bass, the piano, the harmonica, you know, the the singing. I'm I'm dead set against any kind of uh, auto tune or, or, you know, vocal manipulation as far as pitch goes, because (laughs) I... And, 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 you know, hey, for better or for worse, some people are going to listen to my album and be like, I don't know, man, I don't <laughs> that, you know, Melodyne stuff, you know, but, uh, I'm, I'm dead set against it. I, I actually own, you know, some pitch correction stuff on the offhand that, you know, a client insists on, on having there. But I normally tell clients, singers who come in, I say, hey, what goes into that microphone is what's going on the record. Yeah. So, uh, 
I hope you've been practicing. Yeah. You've given us a little bit of an idea of how this project came to be. Um, I think one of the main questions, the first thing that came to my mind was, what are the struggles of sort of forcing this much creativity, if you're forcing it at all? But I mean, to me, that's just what you're doing. So are you finding struggles with this? You're what? You started in May, so you're about three and a half months in? Yeah, um, it's it's definitely forcing. It's definitely a tyrannical pursuit. It's 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 uh, grabbing the muses and saying, "Hey, it's time to go to work." <laughs> and that, that that's one of the things that I have really believed in, and I've spoken a lot about is that uh, that belief that um, you know, sitting around waiting for the heavens to open is just a ridiculous idea to me, and. Yeah. Um, not believing in one's own genius and and waiting for some kind of uh uh you know inspiration to happen or something like that i i, I don't believe in in that i believe in happening i believe in making it happen you know so i'm very much in that uh, realm right now where i'm saying every every time i enter the studio it's it's not oh i hope something good happens it's time to make something good happen. Yeah. That's uh, really interesting. I mean, that's the big thing of kind of going back to this creativity stuff. I, what I'm kind of wondering here is, do you feel pressure? Does this, are you sticking to like, you know, June 1st to June 30th, there's an album or is there going to be some overlap or do you think some are going to come faster or slower? Is it just the goal to get to 12 within 12 or is it just like, no, I'm going to do this every month. You know, you know, I, I play it fast and loose. I, I, I'm, okay. you know, anybody who knows me knows I'm, uh, I'm not a planner. So Do you have a calendar it, in the studio? No, no, there's, <laughs> there's nothing like that in here. There, you know, you can't, there's, you can't even find a clock in here. There's nothing, man. Perfect. That, that was actually really purposeful when I built this place. Um, a lot of studios are really bright and everything like that. And I painted the entire interior of my studio, this midnight blue. Nice. I want it when you shut the door, you're just in this alternate universe and uh, it's 2 a.m. Exactly. And you're always <laughs> nocturnal and you're always, you know, it's so I uh, and, and I really um, don't have a, a, a process. You know, I, when I come into the studio, there's no like okay, now I'm going to, you know, do this. I'm going to light the candles and I'm going to, you know, there's no process to the creativity. It's just come in it, above everything. I'm a pragmatist. And so I just, whatever works, works. Okay. That's, that, that, that's all I, all I go for. I am trying to get out an album every month, but there's no like, Oh, it has to be done by this date and this time because you know, things happen. The, the album, I'm just finishing the mixing of the album that I'm going to be releasing next. But I had to wait for some people because I, uh, while I, I was doing all the instruments in the first couple of albums, I've been trying to incorporate more uh, talent into, uh, in, into the albums as I go along. At least take some of the pressure off of you. <laughs> actually, I think it actually puts more pressure on me because now I have to incorporate uh, other people's stuff which enriches uh, my creativity substantially and and that's why I, I invite other people to 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 work with me and, and mm -hmm. help me out with this 
However, um, you know, I, I cut a lot of things. I, you know, and, and the whole time I'm like, oh man, I hope they're not offended that I'm cutting out this great part that they did, but I don't want it. So <laughs> bye bye. It's a really, really interesting thing, right? Because it's like you, you put this piece of music together, you, and you ask somebody as a favor to come over and do it. And, and then either, I would say one of two things happens, either it doesn't come out sounding the way that you wanted, or they didn't perform it to the level that you had an expectation of maybe. So then you've kind of got to go that route. And then it's like, I kind of got to tell this person I just killed like an afternoon of their life. (laughs) (laughs) I've been really lucky that I, I, I've been working with people who, who create really neat uh, stuff. And so I've been able to use, you know, most everything, but, um, you know, just for an example, I, I, a guitar player who played on the last album and he's played some stuff for this new one. Um, his name is uh, Josh Joshua Slamp, and he's a, an amazing guitarist, but he and I are so disparate in how we would approach the instrument. And so he's doing things that I would have never considered doing on, on, a, on a piece of music or on, on, on that particular song or things like that. So sometimes there's that initial shock when I <laughs> put it on the track. And I'm like, huh, do I like this? I actually yeah. do. But and, and it's great and it's fantastic. But it's just, you know, it, it's, it's just uh, it's allowing other people's creativity to, I, I, I guess, sometimes even override my own. And yeah. just a, a, well, it wasn't a sound that you had probably heard in your brain at that point, And you were like well, that fits. Do I like it? Yeah. And then you're like, I just need some time to process this because my brain hasn't ever registered what you just did. Exactly. And that, that's really it. You know, um, uh, I was just recording uh, the vocalist, Danelle Dolem, uh, who's an amazing vocalist. And she, she came in for this last album that, that is yet to be released, like I said, but it's, uh, it's actually an instrumental album and she comes in and does some of these oohs and ahs. So that's the only vocals. There's no lyrics on it. And it's actually. I uh, wrote it as kind of a soundtrack to stargazing. That was my idea behind hmm. it. It was just going to be, and I wanted it to have the feel of um, kind of like a, a very cerebral sci-fi, you know, um, very uh, tension filled. So it's got, uh, it, it's composed mostly of diminished chord voicings and things like that. So it, it's really, um, it's, <laughs> You know, when she first heard it, she's like, I have no idea what to do with this. <laughs> she said, it's really different. And I was like, yeah. And I was laughing about that. You're just I, like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. noticed. <laughs> I, I, I told her it was really funny because like a couple of days prior to that, I had uh, received an email from somebody in, in Asia and they had told me that uh, they were loving all the albums I'd been putting out. And in those first three, they felt like each album got better in their opinion. That's so um, 
I thought that was really cool, but I immediately laughed and I responded to this person. I said, well, get, get used to disappointment because I doubt anybody's going to think that about this fourth. <laughs> well, <laughs> Unless you like is, really eerie film soundtrack. I, I well, think. I think, I think there's a, I think a lot of people do. And especially if they can, you know, not necessarily listen to it on its own, kind of take your advice and, and go somewhere like that, lay on the roof of the car, like Wayne's world and yeah. look up at the stars and see um, and just have this going and and just kind of let your mind go like that. I think that that's, you know, whatever. It's going to appeal to somebody and it's people are going to hate it. And that's pretty much true for anything. Stay tuned for more Song Facts podcast right after this. Um, I'm really curious about just you being someone who's been doing this and being so creative for so long doing what you're doing and don't, please don't be offended by this, but I'm wondering if you think that there's any sort of um, suffering to the creative process. Are you willing to just put out a song, even though it might not be something that just because you're like, well, I'm going to put it on the album because I'm trying to do 12 albums in 12 months. What's the mindset with that? Yeah. Um, that's really a, a great question because I have throughout my entire um, recording career uh, have always said no filler. And I don't mean no filler by every song is a masterpiece to everybody, you know, and I fully recognize that uh, my music for a lot of people is an acquired taste. And so I, but what I mean by no filler is that every song has integrity. That it wasn't slapped together. It wasn't put on there because I needed to fill, you know, four minutes. Um, I, I would rather the album only be 20 minutes long than put out an extra 10 minutes of stuff that I didn't think had integrity and enough integrity to hang with, with that I like other that. 20 minutes. I really um, like that. And a lot of that is in the lyrics. I, I, I will admit, I, I think the music is, is of course really important but um, sometimes uh, what will make, well, actually for me personally, what always makes and breaks a song is the lyrics. So if, if my lyrics aren't up to snuff, that's normally when, it, when the song gets cut. Um, if it's a musical problem, I can normally overcome that. I can normally go back and just kind of re-record it. But if I'm really not getting to a place where I'm proud of the lyrics, where I could read the lyrics out loud and and still be proud of them instead okay. of just singing them. You know? Almost the poetry idea. Exactly. Um, and I don't consider myself a poet. I consider myself a lyricist, but those lyrics have to... I do read a lot of poetry. I, was an, I actually was an English major. Um, oh. So uh, <laughs> I don't want to sound too haughty-taughty, but... Uh, <laughs> Literature means something to me, and uh, I've always been very pleased with the fact that uh, throughout my songwriting uh, uh, career that that has been a thread that uh, critics and, and other people have, have noticed and realized and, and come to appreciate that uh, my lyrics are very literary. There's a lot of literary references. There's a lot of uh, highbrow stuff in there. Cool. Uh, <laughs> so, so that, that, that integrity means, uh, the most to me, um, you know, musically 
I never know what people are going to like. I, 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 I've put out some songs and I just thought, you know, that, that's not that great. On this last album, the very, the very last song of the album, which is called uh, Helios and Selene. I really wanted that song to be so special hmm. and because I wanted that song to be so special. The finished product could never live up to my expectations. Yeah. I think and, that that's probably something that people run into, right? They just love something too much. Yeah. Or the idea of something, you know, it's like, it's like idolizing a public figure and then finding out some dirt on them. You know, that's what, <laughs> that's what recording Helios and Celine was like. It was like, I had this vision of grandeur in my, in my head. And when I recorded it, I saw all of its dirty little secrets and I thought, Oh no. What a great name. <laughs> Thanks. You know, that, that, uh, there's a lot of, um, uh, once again, uh, even though I'm not a planner, uh, and I'm, and I'm oftentimes flying by the seat of my pants, I'm always trying to find a, a, a thread to everything that I'm doing. So Helios and Selene, uh, Greek uh, gods of uh, the, the moon and the sun. Uh, it's a, it's, it's the only romantic love song on, on the album. And it's meant to be this I, uh, song of idealized love. Uh, <laughs> do you mind if I get verbose for a moment? Because I, Bring it. I, I, what happened was I, the album before that, the postmodern idolaters, I, once again, I, I always start albums with a concept. And so postmodern idolaters, uh, which was the second album, and it was my acoustic album. You know, I wanted it to just be uh, very organic and acoustic. And, and I had, I actually recorded that, that album all with one microphone. Um, I wanted to do it in the old 50s way. You know, uh, really, really interesting. I love these little things that you're doing to <laughs> add to the challenge. And I think that that's probably something that you can like form these little nuclei. And then you're just like, no matter what I do, I'm staying within this realm. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think that no, these are little things. I think that that's so cool. That that was, that was the idea. It was like, okay, I have an old ribbon microphone, you know, the, it's not, from the 50s but it's the same technology right so i said to myself i'm going to keep with that technology i have a, a preamp that um a mic preamp that uh was uh, it's basically kind of like a clone of something that the beatles would have recorded into and abbey road studios mm -hmm. so i have some you know really old school style technology and i wanted to use that and i and, and i and i anticipated that postmodern idolaters album to actually have a pretty lo-fi sound and i was really surprised at how hi-fi a lot of it is. <laughs> i was like actually some really? of this sounds really great um is it recording you in stereo nope it's it's all mono um okay. I, now a lot of the processing i would use on those mono uh sources would end up being you know, some stereo. But what I would do is I would, I would put the microphone in different parts of my room and I would place myself differently around the microphone and I would just try and create a sense of space like that because that's how they used to do it when all the recordings were in mono, you know, yeah. back in the 50s, you know. And, and I was really taking 
inspiration from the early Sun records, especially uh, the Elvis records. One of my favorite sounding records of all time is the old Elvis version of Blue Moon, which is just so haunting. Mm-hmm. And it's all mono, but it's so, it, it, it has such a sense of space. To me, it has a better sense of space than most, uh, than, than most modern stereo records today. So, so that was the goal with that. Um, and and uh, whether or not the average listener, you know, recognizes that or hears it or, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it makes a difference to anybody but me. You know. Exactly. And that, that was the whole point of it. Yeah. Just like you said, it was that challenge. It was, and that was sometimes a really frustrating challenge, let me tell you. But I, I'm really happy with how that album came out. Um, but the, uh, the, concept, the other concept, the, the more the idea concept of that album was to take a journey from idealism. So the, the album starts out with all these high ideals in a song called There'll Be a Time. And it's, it's reciting, you know, there'll be a time when, uh, you know, we, we it, it's a very progressive song, you know, it's like, we're going to yeah. move on past this, but it also contradicts itself constantly by saying, we're also going to reach back to the past and we're going to honor the fathers and the mothers who came before us, but we're also going to uh, burn out, burn, burn it all down and start anew. It, you know, it, it has a lot of ideas in it, but it's starting from that idealized perspective of we're going to be moving forward. The album, the, the character of the album, he, he goes through some stuff. And by the end, um, he's, uh, he's moved into isolationism. He's, he's gone from idealism to isolationism. And that's where I pick, pick up with the next album, which is called uh, The Weeping Candles. And it begins with a song called No More Aves. I want to sleep all the day, but I'm woke every hour. I want to sleep all the day, but I'm woke every hour. Oh, I want to sleep all the day, but I'm woke every hour. Oh, I want to sleep all the day, but I'm reminded. So I've found that a lot of people are saying Avs, but it's Aves. <laughs> uh, as in like Ave Maria. Uh, you need to put a little X in above that E. I guess so. <laughs> I was really hoping people would just recognize that it's Ave, but people probably aren't looking at a, a rock record and, and thinking Ave Maria or anything like that. But yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Ave is a, a, you know, a sacred farewell. And... Um, and so the song's called No More Aves, but uh, but it, it it is a song about isolationism, and it but it longs for idealism. It has lyrics in it like uh, um, I want to dream all the day. Um, uh, let me dream of distant ruins, um, uh, things like that. But but then it it admits to uh, being in this time, in this in this COVID time, and in America right now, feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, isolated and that that whole weeping candles album is is uh it's an it's an ode to 80s post-punk new wave music 
but but lyrically it's all about what's happening now and it's it's about you know the 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 black lives matter it's about you know politically what's happening but i try to bring it to a real personal level actually a lot of it kind of talks about cancel culture Mm -hmm. Uh, uh and a lot of it is inspired by conversations i have with my children but anyway, that album actually goes from that isolationism and it ends with that Helios and Celine song. So we're finally making it full circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. This is like what we're here for is just trying to break these things down. That's what I think. You know, I think this is why I'm doing this as a host, because I think this stuff is fascinating. And hopefully people that are listening to this think it is, too, because it's just it's amazing to get into that creative mindset of. I mean, I think a lot of people just struggle with the idea of how do you write uh, an album like um the who's tommy that is succinctly a front to back story yeah and how do you come up with these songs that are all related to each other people have a hard enough time just writing a song um so i think that that's just i mean i think it's just incredible so i'm i mean i'm curious about this because you've touched on the family a little bit and so talk to me a little bit about your life right now juggling covid portland is an epicenter of so much chaos with everything going on in the world right now yeah you have five kids you've mentioned yeah um and now you're throwing this onto your plate as well you're obviously someone with tremendous amounts of energy um i think people would love to know how do you balance it oh you don't I mean, that's, that's, I mean, let's <laughs> Just be honest chaos. with everything, you know, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you embrace it. The new album is called, uh, that, that I haven't released yet, the instrumental one is called Erebus, which is the Greek god of darkness. And uh, darkness, uh, these, darkness is one of the children of chaos, which is the initial creative force of the universe. So em- embracing the chaos is embracing creation itself. Um, so that's what we do around here. Uh, you know, I, I do have the five kids. They all are amazing children. And I'm not just saying that because they're mine. I'm saying that because I truly believe it. And they're all so different. They have such different personalities. And, you know, seven of us plus two dogs and nine chickens. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a chaotic, chaotic uh, place around here. It's really funny. Um, it sounds I, super Portland. <laughs> <laughs> it is, man. Yeah, it's, I love it. We're, we're so Portland. And, and we, uh, <laughs> you know, it's really funny. My, my wife doesn't ever want to be, and I don't want to be, I, you know, I'm not some hipster dude, you know. It, it, mm-hmm. You know, I'm wearing um, jogging trunks and flip-flops right now. You know, I'm not like some cool guy, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> You know, you'd probably like somebody see me walking down the street and uh, I, I do a lot of weight training as well. So they probably mm-hmm. just think I'm a dumb jock, you know, I mean, yeah. that's, people probably see me and think, but, um, but anyway, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's actually COVID for us has, you know, I say this with mixed emotions because I know that some of my children have really struggled with it. But I think it, it, the whole quarantine thing, if there was ever a family that was built for it, it was ours. Great uh, to hear. I mean, that's just kudos to you as a parent. I, 
I don't know if I, how much you know I can take for that, but but you know I, we are close and we do have fun together, you know, and so we've been having lots of fun together. Um, uh, for that song, no more aves. I I drug all my kids in and we did a music video for it together. Um, cool. And uh, that music video has gotten a hell of a response. You know, people just love it. And one of the points of that of making that music video with my children was to allow them to be creative. Uh, I had the idea for it. Um, you know, kind of the storyline for it, and I was directing it, and I was and I was bossy sometimes, but um. I, you know, my eldest daughter did all the makeup. I, I gave her no input, really. I just said, you know, let's do some some glam rock makeup and you just do it. Yeah. Uh, the kids all were making their little homemade instruments as part of the, the plot line to the, to the music video. And I filmed them making their own instruments and putting their cool. costumes together. And it was just a, 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 a place for them to, to be creative as well. So, you know, but that's just one example but it, it you know our our family is uh we like each other <laughs> you know uh my wife and i are both home together every day and we don't fight we like each other you know right <laughs> you know i mean we, it is possible people yeah it is possible you can enjoy the people that are sharing walls with you <laughs> is, you know so keep the dream alive <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to transition here into our big three questions. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I don't know if you've read these or if you've had enough time to uh, think about them, but um, the first one, if you had to listen to one band the rest of your life, which one would it be? Yeah, I put a lot of thought into that and I just wanted to punch you in the face for us. <laughs> That's always the response. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you gave me no other choice, I would actually probably just listen to to Elvis or or Johnny Cash. Uh, one of I'll those. give you two. I'll give yeah, you two. Uh, you know, um, that's the kind of music that I grew up on. It's the kind of music I fall back on when I um, just uh, when I want to listen to music. It makes me feel happy. Yeah. Number two, and I wonder if this correlates with what you just told us. Um, what is one song that you wish you would have written? Oh yeah, boy. There's so many. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'm, I'm going to give you one. The 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 Pogues. The Pogues. Uh, the, I think it's the, the pronounce it the Pogues. It's been so long since I've heard anybody else actually say their name. But anyway, they wrote the the song "Fairy Tale of New York." Oh man, the first time I heard that song, and many times since when I put on that song, I have to lie down. It hits me emotionally. It's an emotional gut punch every time, and I just think, oh man, I wish. I don't we know if link I to that. We will link to that for yeah. sure. It's a... <laughs> that's a good sell. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I got to say, just being someone that's, and I don't think, you don't know this last question because I'm making this third question something that is going to make um, make the person think on the spot because I think that that kind of adds a nice little piece of flair to it. But I kind of came up to this today when I was 
kind of reviewing the website, listening to some of the tunes and just kind of learning your history as a musician. And I'm curious, what's the musical project that you're most proud of? Other than this one? Uh, well, this one's not complete. <laughs> I don't know if I'm one. proud of it yet, but uh, I, <laughs> in the past, uh, I, I've done a, a couple of uh, movie soundtracks. Uh, they were soundtracks that I wrote for old silent films, old Lon Chaney films. And uh, one of them is called West of Zanzibar and, and Subterranean Howl, that band, we ended up actually doing a studio recording of that uh, soundtrack. And I did the studio recording, so I'm not insulting anybody when I say it's not my favorite recording. <laughs> <laughs> but the performance of that live is, uh, was definitely my favorite thing to do. Hmm, interesting. It, it, it's such, there's so much pressure. You know, the film's going, if you miss your cue, you're done for. You know, wow. there's, there's no pause the movie and, 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 you know, do it. So we all had, had scripts and our own scripts and we all had them marked out with the times and the time, you know, and everything like that. And everybody's switching different instruments. Everybody who was in the band was performing uh, multiple instruments and moving around the stage and having to be at a different spot at different times. And, and, uh, you know, just such a high pressure situation and I really just loved it and the response that we would get from audiences for that was just out of this world people were enthralled so <laughs> cool I am so curious about this now so I think most people that listen know that when a band is playing live on stage for the most part so there's some sort of monitors that the band is listening to each other play they're listening to themselves and hopefully they've got a good mix and they can hear different things you playing to a um you scoring essentially a film that's playing is there are there monitors can your rhythm section be watching that or is it just uh, that's what the first thing i think of because drums has been my pr primary instrument and i am not great at keeping time <laughs> in terms of like it speeds up it slows down you don't necessarily finish at the same place that you started um the more you practice the better you get but that's always just kind of been my thing which is just crazy because i've been a drummer in a lot of different bands yeah. but i'm curious knowing that you've got to hit these exact cuts man how does i, I mean are you guys watching the film we had a single kind of large screen monitor in front and, and honestly, I don't know how well the drummer could see it. <laughs> I was trying to act as conductor as well the whole time. You um, so. uh, but that was that was honestly part of the adventure of it. It was that we're not playing to clicks. We're not, you know, nothing, nothing like that. So we're we're not. Nothing's perfect. You're going to slow down. You're going to speed up. You're going to do these things. And so you end up just having to just really pay attention to each other. And mm. you, I've never been in a situation where uh, body language was so important yeah. <laughs> to be able to, to just glance at somebody and they know exactly what you mean. You know, that never was it more important uh than 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 that sh the, that show right there you know? well it takes away to me it takes away because one of the things that i think a lot of people who have never played live or have just always been an audience member don't necessarily know is that there's tons of mistakes made during live performances there's yeah. 
notes, there's time signature slip ups, there's all these different things that are going on that the band obviously notices and like looks around within like a short little second of panic, but obviously the music and the song carries on. So you just kind of got to keep going and the audience doesn't always pick up on these, but if it's just like this rising music and you've got this highly <laughs> just chaotic yeah. stress leading up in this movie, and then you're all hitting the same thing on this cut to a scene and you can just feel, Oh my God, we're a half second behind or something like that. Like it just, yeah. keeps you. I can't imagine how tight that band could play. Oh, trust me. We rehearsed the heck out of the, that thing. I mean, it was, we had it down. Uh, mm -hmm. We were, we were solid and and it that lineup of that band you know hats off to everybody who was in subterranean howl at the time because they were spectacular are i should say sorry they're none of them are dead they are spectacular <laughs> musicians and they had to put up with a lot you know because they're not only were they having to learn stuff but they were having to deal with me changing things you know they're having to deal with me you know I, I don't want to set myself up as sound like a prima donna or anything like that, but you know, Too late. yeah, <laughs> I want what I want. All right. <laughs> and, so, and if you're not going to give it to me, no, um, yeah, you know, I, when you're in that kind of a situation, you know, you're, you're trying to do, I can't remember how long the film was, but you know, somewhere around 90 minutes or something like that. I can't, but anyway, the, the, the point is when you're, trying to somebody has to be mr bossy pants somebody has to just yeah. say no somebody has to always have the bottom line somebody has to be the bad guy when somebody wants somebody else wants to do something and you have to tell them no you can't do that and you have to do this instead. yeah there's yeah. got to be a ringleader has to be it's so, so true so i'm willing to take that on i'm willing to you know be the bad guy and and um you know that's always been a running joke i'm i'm really a jovial person but uh that's always been a running joke probably because i'm a pretty chill guy you know you, you talked about how much high energy i, I need to have well if, if people hanging around me normally think you know i'm super low energy i yeah. give off low energy but i have the high energy in inside the the, the boiler's always burning but I'm really, like. I try to be really chill and uh you know mr rogers is my hero you know, <laughs> I, I i i view him as being one of the most passionate people in modern history but wanting to convey peace to everybody around him and, that's really good i don't know if i've ever heard somebody's personal hero being mr rogers but good for you and i will also say that it is much easier to be the devil advocate of the band when you have um, such a happy home life. So good for you on that. Because <laughs> you can be like, they just hated me for the last 90 minutes of practice, but I'm going home where everyone loves me. So I got that going. <laughs> That's the truth, man. Um, I mean Simon, you are going to, um, you're going to, we're going to have a song here that we're going to kind of end yeah. with. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this song and, and, and then we'll lead into that and then bid our, What's the word that I'm missing that you there's your song? I almost went with adus. Oh, aves. Yeah. Did our aves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or our avas. Yeah. <laughs> well, I decided to share uh the song uh Tenebri uh with with every with the audience today. Okay. It, um it's the second track on on the 
album Weeping Candles. Um, and it is, um, it, it, it juxtaposes around a bit. A, a lot of it is about um, cancel culture. A lot of the lyrics are kind of dealing with that, but it, it and it's actually a very simple um, song. And, um, but it, it comes from a place of, uh, once again, just talking to my children and my, my my children are social justice warriors and I'm very proud of them for having high ideals and wanting to see change, wanting to see a world that they can believe in. And uh, at the same time, I am oftentimes uh, trying to be the voice of temperance with them uh, saying people are people. And uh, so if you don't mind, do you mind if I just read a couple of the lyrics real quick? No, uh, put them out there. So uh, let's see, I'll remember them. Uh, the second verse, it says, burn it all, the wheat and the chaff. We shall never live by bread again. Cancel all who dare think different. This is our mantra, our hidden agenda, our the final solution. And the mm -hmm. chorus says, I laugh myself to death inside of programs. These thoughts have grown beyond their season. Uh, if love won't bring us back to reason, I'll laugh myself to death inside of programs. So the idea of that is, uh, you know, I'm an individualist. I, I believe in the sanctity of the individual soul. Politically, I'm, I'm a, an independent. I don't subscribe to party, to mob think, to all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and I'm trying to pass that on to my own children and say, hey, you know, uh, fascism is fascism, whether you're right or wrong. Yeah. Um, you, you could be totally right, but, but pushing your rightness onto other people, forcing it upon them, that still makes you the bad guy. Um, so, you know, a lot of the lyrics and a lot of the songs uh, kind of deal with that, but Tenebri, um which is subtitled "Extinguish the Vigil Lights," uh, mm. really trying to bring that idea to the to the fore. Um, uh, so yeah, I'll leave you with that. Well, you really hit a goal of having it, you know, read as poetry because that's that's definitely it paints a really good picture. And if you have any idea of cancel culture or a lot of the things that are going on right now, you know, you've you've definitely touched on that there and. For anyone listening, this will all be in the show notes, but you can find Jack or Simon's Urban Jack, Simon's mm -hmm. music at urbanjackproductions.com. He's got all the albums coming out there. I believe that's linked straight to your SoundCloud, right? It is. And and if people are, you know, uh wherever you people are uh downloading or streaming their music, you know, you, you find it there. It's uh, Apple, you know, uh what <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't use a lot of streaming services but i know it's all up there <laughs> yeah yeah good well go and find it it's an amazing project and thank you for spending some time with us simon it's we're so appreciative and uh, you know what i'm just excited and i imagine that this might be something that you think about too is what the music that hasn't yet been created that you know you're about to and what a cool idea that is yeah, it, it's something that I look forward to every day. It's something that, you know, I have to really discipline myself to stay in the now, in the moment, because like you said, uh, I'm, I'm excited for next month, you know? Cool. <laughs> Simon, thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Sincerely, I really appreciate it. Another big thank you to Simon. And of course, if you want 
For more stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. Enjoy Tenabre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 